Welcome, everybody. I'm Dr. Rob Gent, uh, Chief Clinical Officer of Embark Behavioral Health. feel very privileged to be doing uh, a little bit rare thing for me to be doing the Roadmap to Joy podcast, but this is such an important topic that uh, I wanted to be a part of this and so fortunate to be able to talk about major depressive disorder today. And our guest is Dr. Georgine Nanos from, she is actually the CEO of the Kind Health Group in San Diego, in particular Encinitas, California. And uh, we're going to be talking about different types of interventions and things that she's seeing in her practice. And specifically, we're going to be discussing TMS, which is really exciting, transcranial magnetic stimulation. It's a big word, but we're going to be talking about that. So let's just go ahead and jump in. Dr. Georgie Nanos, welcome. Thank you, Rob. I'm so happy to be here. Well, so excited to have you, and thank you for taking the time to us. And I know you've been so gracious and you said to us in particular, one of my big missions in life is to get out the word on TMS. It's yes. Imp- pretty important to you. Yes, it is. Yeah, super great. Well, if I can, before we jump into that, if I'm just a, a parent listening in for the first time, and, and you know, I'm sure you, most of your day-to-day stuff is dealing with parents. And I know maybe talk a little about you certainly are a a board certified trained physician and uh, you see parents all the time. Maybe give us a little context about, yeah, what is it that you do and and the population you're seeing would be great. Sure. I'd love to. So I'm a family physician. I'm board certified in family medicine. I've been practicing medicine here in San Diego for over 20 years. And as, as a family doctor, I see all all ages of, of patients from infants to centigenarians. So I see the whole spectrum of life, which is a unique perspective to, uh, to see in the course of one's medical career. So, um, and I also treat a lot of families as well. So I, I have often, you know, the parents, the, or the children, the parents, and even grandparents. So it's a real privilege to see the entire fabric of a fi- family dynamic. Um, and in doing so, I've got I've learned a lot about people and human behavior and the human condition. And what I what I think some people uh, don't readily realize is that family doctors and primary care providers are really the front lines of mental health care in this country. Um, and so when people are having issues with their mental health they they're often will start by seeing their primary doctor. I think as a therapist, we forget about this, that the average person goes to see their primary care physician first. Absolutely. Yes. It's very often forgotten. Much of my training and experience is in treating mental health as well as physical health issues. And they're really interrelated. Um, so I treat a lot of adolescents, young adults, their parents, their grandparents. So I've seen the whole spectrum of, of patients. Well, can I ask that? That seems in, well, you tell me what you think, but in my experience, that seems to be the exception rather than the rule. I mean, we talk about the medical model so much of like, you know, it's seeing it medically is it's kind of a linear approach and you, you we specify a problem rather than I think what you're talking about is you see things more integratively or, or more functionally with, with the person. Exactly. And and that's how I approach medicine as well. I really like to look at the whole person and take into account their emotional and behavioral health as well as their physical health. And as I said, they are very interconnected. And 
I think when we don't recognize that how interconnected they are, that's where we can, that's where we have a hard time figuring out what's wrong with people. And it takes a lot of time to listen and have people, give people the space and time to tell their story. I would love to hear, Dr. Nanos, an example of, I mean, I hear you say people come in. I would imagine that they don't know that they have depression. I would imagine that it shows up in a ton of different ways. I mean, how do you kind of flush that out? I mean, we deal with teenagers all the time who are like, I have a stomach ache, I have headaches, I have this and that, and come to find out. Integratively, it's a combination of a bunch of things. Exactly. That's very, it's very often the case. But as as a family physician, our, our role is to rule out, you know, every other possible uh, etiology of a of a of any particular symptoms before we say, okay, this is anxiety or this is depression. What I tell people often is that when when we get to that point um, and it's that anxiety or depression causing these real physical symptoms. I, I, I don't want people to misunderstand that and think I'm saying it's in their head. It's not in their head. It's their, it's their brain screaming. It's their body screaming what their brain can't say. And so it is really a, a, a real, these are real, real physical symptoms of, a, a, of an underlying mental health disorder that are super common. Would you mind saying, like, just if, if I'm a parent, what are some of those things that you commonly see? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of depression, the most common thing is uh, a symptom called anhedonia, which means lack of interest in doing something that you used to enjoy. And if it lasts for more than two weeks, it can be a sign of depression. Uh, also, persistent feelings of sadness, hopelessness um cha- physical changes in in sleeping and eating sleeping too much not sleeping enough um eating too much or not eating enough so um those are some of the the more common symptoms and i think there's also there's still unfortunately a big stigma in our society around depression a lot of people think that in order to do, to be depressed or truly diagnosed as depressed, you have to be suicidal, and that is most certainly not the case. Um, obviously, be, having suicidal thinking is is it's definitely a, a severe form of depression, but it's definitely not the norm. Most people who are depressed are never suicidal, but have these these other symptoms, which are, are super common. Especially as I was saying, the most the most common one is that feeling of just lo- losing interest and not being motivated to do things that you used to enjoy doing, not wanting to get out of bed, that kind of thing. So it's so super helpful because if I'm a parent, you're saying don't don't let suicidality be the barometer for this thing. <laughs> If you've gotten to suicidality, there's a there's a much bigger problem. That's the extreme. So you don't have you don't want to wait till your 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 child or your loved one suicidal before you you seek help. But if they're withdrawing, if they're no longer taking interest in the things that used to, all of those things might be a good indicator of go see your primary care physician. Go go, go see somebody that can give you some professional recommendation. Exactly. And and a lot of it, you know, there is a lot of it that's normal teenage adolescent stuff. But I think seeing a professional and getting that teased out and, and figuring out what the nuances are there are really important um, because these kids today are, are just very, very vulnerable. 
Um, social media is really just eating away at them in, in, in every possible way, especially for young girls. Um, it's a very toxic environment out there for them. And a lot of parents aren't even aware of what's going on um, online. This brings up a really good point, because I would imagine it gets kind of confusing when we think of depression. Is it we talk about social media stuff, we talk about environmental factors, we talk about developmental factors, and there's also organic factors. I'm sure you're looking at, boy, it's not just secluded to one of those factors. It could be a combination of everything. Absolutely. And and it usually is. And there's also family history and there's also, um, you know, particular stressors in, in people's lives. If, you know, their parents are going through a divorce or if there's some other major stress in the home that's also can can trigger it so there are there are situations that can trigger a depressive episode um but the you know the the outcome is still the same someone is still depressed and needs to be treated regardless of how you got there this question comes to mind and i've been dying to, to ask you uh you've been practicing like you said for 20 years have you seen an increase have you seen what what types of increases or what type of trajectory have you seen with the population presenting with depression? Well, you know, I'm going to say that, yes, I have. Of yeah. course. So it's it's I feel like it, there's a doubling effect almost every year and wow. and, and more so. It's wild to me every year. I'm like, how can this get worse? And it it's it's astounding. And COVID certainly really, I mean, I think tipped us over, over the edge because we all, you know, we all have trauma growing up um, and throughout our lives. There's no, there's no escaping that. However big or small it is that, um, that affects uh, our, our world and, and how we interact with the world. And, but then you throw on this collective trauma that we all had of going through COVID, which was a very as collective experience as it was, it was also a very individual experience and everyone reacted very differently to it. Um, and none of it was good for, for any of us. And so we have that on top of all the other trauma that we've already accumulated in our lives. And it's caused a lot of profound isolation for people and really brought to light a lot of, um, a lot of underlying mental health disorders that people were just kind of squeaking by with before now it's it's just much more difficult for people to cope so you're saying we've seen it i mean doubling is just staggering i I know that's true it's just it's it's an epidemic at this point in time and we just see this exponential increase um maybe talk a little bit about people's how can we get a better understanding because we talk about this thing in the clinical world as uh, major depressive disorder or treatment resistant how do how can you help us to explain like what is a, a maybe just an onset of mild depression versus um, a more severe? How do you flesh out what the difference is? There's actually a questionnaire called the PHQ-9, which is a, a universally uh, standard questionnaire used by uh, by clinicians all over the world as a screening tool and a diagnostic tool for depression. And uh, the, the questions, there are actually nine questions. And they encompass a lot of those symptoms we talked about earlier, 
um, anhedonia, lack of interest or motivation to do things that generally bring you joy, um, sadness, hopelessness, feelings of um, worthlessness and guilt, as well as changes in your um, in your sleep or your eating habits, and then suicidality as well. So there is a score for that for those answers, and based on that score, we can kind of distinguish between a mild, moderate, or severe case of depression, and that's what's most commonly used. Would you say just as is it best practice? Do if I go see or I take my child to uh, my physician in. Is it best practice to do a PHQ-9 or what would you say in the medical field is the best practice? So best practice really is to screen everybody with with those questionnaires, which is what we do in my practice all the time. In addition to that PHQ-9, we also use something called the GAD-7, which is the general anxiety um, disorder uh, scale, similar type of question. Uh, which assesses for symptoms symptoms of anxiety as well. So those are standard questionnaires that we we screen everybody with in my practice these days, just because it is so prevalent. And oftentimes when people are coming in for, especially young adults, they don't come into the office that, that frequently. Um, so we want to capture them and make sure that that we can assess them and screen them for any of those disorders if they're coming in for say or a cold or a routine vaccination or something like that so it is important that um that we are are screening as many people as possible because oftentimes these things go undetected so let's just play this scenario out what happens if somebody does score pretty pretty high on these measures what do you guys do well, it, it depends. So if someone is suicidal, that's that's an entirely different situation. Usually that person may need um, a different level of support. If they're really acute, they may need inpatient hospitalization or something of that nature. If they can be managed as an outpatient, if it, you know not as severe of a case, generally we talk about the options with parents, which can include a variety of modalities. Uh, the first of which is um, is therapy, talk therapy, which is very effective for a lot of people. Um, and then uh, medications, most commonly SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, or SNRIs, norepinephrine as well, are the most commonly prescribed medications for uh, depression and anxiety. And those are taken typically on a daily basis. One thing that we don't often talk about is exercise. Exercise is an excellent, excellent treatment for depression. There have been a lot of head-to-head trials comparing Prozac and exercise, and there have been equal equal efficacy at times. So, um, so exercise is really important as well. I always emphasize that. And um, limiting screen time, and particularly for younger people, limiting, limiting screen time and um, Going on a social media diet is also very helpful for a lot of individuals, adults and children alike. So I think we could all benefit from a little more of that. Um, And then some combination of of all of those modalities um, is usually a a starting point. I usually tend to avoid medication unless there's a a particular need for it right right off the bat. I I think it's important to try to do everything you can before you go to medication. Not that I'm opposed to it. I certainly prescribe a lot of medication, but I use it, at, you know, only when necessary. 
And, and then if that's not working, then we usually talk about uh, accelerated TMS, which is what we also offer at my clinic. So I'm hearing before you dip into the medications, maybe try, let's talk therapy, let's look at exercise, sleep, nutrition. I mean, there's a whole host of things oh, that yeah. we, we can try to get back yeah. on track. That's great. Yes. We use, so we have a whole team of health coaches here at my practice and we focus a lot on prevention and the health coaches, the role of the health coaches is really to give people that space and time to have someone to listen to them and kind of hear their story. And, and that's what everyone really, that's what we all want. We want that human connection. We want to be heard. We want to know that someone's listening to us and that, that goes so such a long way. Um, and so that's what we try to provide for people so that they have someone to talk to, particularly teens and young adults and, and their parents as well. It's just as difficult for them to watch your child suffer and go through something really difficult that you can't always help with. So you're opening the door. I can't help but get a little <laughs> bit excited. I just want to clarify because this is, you know, certainly from Embark, this is our, our mission, and our purpose. But what you're even articulating as a physician, you're saying, listen, we're storied creatures. We want interpersonal <laughs> connection, that the fact that we can be suffering depression, feelings of anxiety, all of this stuff, we've actually know that parts of mitigating that is just simple empathy and human connection and being in safe relationship. Absolutely. So Thousand wonderful. percent. I can, I can't say that enough. And, and, and a lot, you know, when I talk about a social media or screen time diet, that that's a big contributor to a lot of what we're seeing, unfortunately. And I mean, I'm just as guilty as an adult of being attached to my phone all the time. And um, it just, it takes away from that interpersonal human connection. And as you know, we move further away from it, that's exactly what we need more of. We need more of that human interpersonal relationship to fill us up and to help us thrive and, and find joy. That is the roadmap to joy. Music to my ears. I, I, I can't <laughs> help but smile. This is so terrific. So um, just kind of delving into this. So we get a cases, and then I love that you're saying when all of that, the pieces are coming together and there's still some depressive stuff, and you mentioned accelerated TMS. So maybe talk a little bit about how, when do you approach of a client, a patient with this? When, when do you even offer it or suggest it? And then maybe talk about a little bit about how that unfolds would be great. Sure. We have uh, people come to me for accelerated TMS from a number of different avenues. Um, we, so let me back it up a little bit by explaining what TMS is. Perfect. How about that? Um, so TMS stands for transcranial magnetic stimulation. And as soon as I say that, my next words are always, it's not electric shock therapy. <laughs> it is entirely different. There's no electric current going into the brain. It's using magnetic field energy. So it uses deep magnetic pulses to penetrate into our areas of the brain called the salience network where our anxiety and depression centers lie for all of us. And what can often happen is as we are um, going through life, we encounter negative experiences, which are very common and, and typical and normal. Uh, but what will happen over time for some people is that 
you will get um, into these negative loops, these negative thought patterns, and they become these deeply worn grooves, if you will, in our in our neural network and become really hard to get out of. And that's when it becomes problematic when you get stuck in these negative loops. And what TMS is doing is creating new positive pathways to get you out of those negative loops. So it's actually creating new neural connections, new synaptic connections, so that when you're encountering a challenge, a stress, a, you know, a traumatic event, instead of going to that negative loop, you're going to a positive loop. It's almost expanding your brain in a way to give you more space and time to cope with what is happening. And it helps you to better regulate your emotions, your behaviors, um, and your thought patterns in a, in a much more positive way. It's non-invasive. It doesn't have any long-term side effects, which is something I can't say about anything else in medicine. And it's a very exciting revolutionary treatment for anxiety, depression, and a whole host of other disorders as well. So one is there's research to prove its effectiveness. Yes, it's been FDA approved for over 15 years. It's actually been around for over 25 years. Uh, the reason you probably haven't heard about it very much, or most people haven't, is because when it was first approved back in 2008, it was approved in this very long protocol. Um, the treatment itself only takes about anywhere from 5 to 15 minutes. It's painless. It's a, a metal co It's a, a coil placed on the forehead. It just feels like a little tapping sensation, and it's... Uh, it's a pretty quick treatment, but as it was first approved, it was administered once a day over 40 to 50 days, and it takes at least 40 sessions to get a therapeutic effect. So what you were seeing is people having to come into the office to a clinic once a day for 40 to 50 consecutive days, which was really hard for people to do in, in real life. Outside of research settings, it wasn't happening very often or you know people weren't seeing it through to completion, so we weren't seeing the effects that we were expecting. Then about three years ago at Stanford, a group of researchers came together to do a series of randomized controlled clinical trials to see if perhaps condensing that protocol to four or five days would be as effective. And lo and behold, not only was it as effective, it was way more effective. Wow. And that became known as the accelerated or the Stanford protocol or the SAINT protocol. They're all the same thing. And that administers the treatment eight times a day, eight to 10 times a day. So we're treating patients every hour and giving them a 50 minute rest in between. And this way we're condensing that 40, 40 session treatment in four or five days. So it's very quick, but it's intense. And, um, and that's the only protocol, that's the only TMS treatment that we do in my clinic. It's the, it's the accelerated protocol that, uh, that's pretty fast. It's so amazing to hear that we have effectiveness for this accelerator process. It happens within a week. It's a very intense five days. But um, Dr. Nanos, t tell me, you typically, when you hear about TMS, you hear about a standard protocol taking weeks rather yeah. than the accelerated. M maybe talk about why is that we don't hear so much about the accelerated? It's relatively new. It was It was only started being used in practice about three years ago. It was FDA approved last year. And it's uh, just, there are not a lot of clinics that have experience doing it. We are, we've been very fortunate to have been doing this now for over a year with excellent results. It's, it's the only type of TMS that we do. 
so we are are quite seasoned in in what to expect throughout the week and it, it's we're learning we're still learning every week we learn something new about this whole process it's and it's it's just been an immense privilege and joy to be able to help so many people um through such difficult times so for me it's changed my my life my career path it's something i want to make available to as many people as possible because it's such an important and incredible treatment and i know that you've really taken the tms and integrated if you will all of this uh, other holistic perspective right and that, that and practice. that Exactly. And that's where we're in a very unique position using uh, our health coaching team, myself, the rest of my team. We really, when patients come to us, we treat about anywhere from three to five patients at a time um, in, in the week. And we provide them with a really deep network of, of support throughout their throughout their week of treatment. And then we continue to follow them uh, for a whole year after they've been treated so that they are getting follow-up with our health coaches, with myself. We have a consulting psychiatrist available for them as well. So um, it's really a, a, a multidisciplinary approach to making sure that people get what they need and that we get them to where, where they wanna be so they can live their best life. And I think um, typically in your average TMS clinic, Patients will get treated if, if they're even going to do the accelerated protocol. They'll just get treated and then they leave and do something for 50 minutes. They may sit in their car or watch TV or something. What we do here is that our health coaches are want to really engage our patients to give them tools so that they can um, so they can use what they've achieved through TMS and help them carry that into their life outside of that week um, of treatment. So people, I want people to think of TMS as a very powerful tool in a larger mental health toolkit. So it doesn't stand on its own. Um, the people that do best are the people who go through the treatment and are engaged. They have a therapist, they have, um, they have a social network. They have, they're, you know, they're interacting and engaging with our, our health coaches. Those are the people who are going to have the best outcomes. So wonderfully described, and I think you're hitting on some key points that I want to make sure the listeners are listening to. That it takes this engagement, the best results we're getting of people who are fully participating in it. Uh, let me ask you a, a little bit of a unique question. Do Adolescents, are we, are we treating people younger? Should we be treating people younger than 18? So it's FDA approved for 18 and above, but typically most clinics will treat patients as young as 12. Um, we have treated younger than 18, but it's we require a parent or an adult to be there with them. Um, and and it's, it is, like I said, it's an intense treatment. They have to be mature enough to be able to to be in a clinical setting for 40 consecutive hours which is a lot for some for some kids so it just um it depends on the person and and the circumstances we uh we want to help as many people as possible but it has to be something that's the right fit yeah totally understand that uh what kind of uh how long do the results last and um, what are you seeing 
Um, that's again, an interesting component of the level of engagement that we see from patients. So some people will go into a lasting remission. So I, my uh, partner and consulting psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Jonathan Downer has been treating, he's treated over 5,000 patients and has done as part as part of the trials that uh, helped produce the Stanford protocol. And he will tell you that the you know the 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 remission rate the the length of remission really is is highly variable some people are in a permanent remission some people will need an additional um, maintenance treatment after a year or two some people will need more after a few months um and it really depends on on it's it's such an individual case-by-case basis for example i have a um I have a, a patient that I'm treating again next week who we treated about six or seven months ago. And she was severely depressed with anxiety and she had a great outcome from TMS. She did really, really well. But then her husband was diagnosed with brain cancer and died mm. a year, uh, a couple, a month later. And, um, and so she's kind of gone, she's regressed a little bit and, is going to be retreated again. And she's really the only person that we have retreated in the last year. But I use the analogy that TMS is like, it's like weightlifting. You're, you, you know, without TMS, maybe you can lift 10 or 15 pounds. With TMS, maybe you can lift now 250, 300 pounds. But then life throws you a 500 pound weight. There's <laughs> only so much you can do there. So, um, so she got thrown a 500 pound weight. So we're going to we're going to bulk her up again. So that's, that's the, the, that's the idea. And I would venture to say that sometimes depression and anxiety sort of put these weird cloud or the goggles in front of your eyes in the sense of part of the treatment is getting some relief from the symptoms actually gives you an increased clarity or, or even an awareness. So I imagine now she's probably like, Wow. You know, depression, I always use the analogy is like you're the frog in the boiling water. Sometimes you don't realize the temperature is getting hotter and you don't realize how bad it is until you take a step back. Oh, yeah. And she will tell you, uh, we have actually a testimonial on our website. She will tell you she would have never been able to survive what she went through without the TMS. It would have wow. it would have killed her as well. So um, so it, all in all, it's, it's it was very positive And it's just. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So we've got this. Thank you so much. You've described it so well. So we've got transcranial magnetic stimulation. Um, I would imagine you're recommending that before we get into more invasive, heavier type of medications to treat the depression. Look at it holistically, which yes. is wonderfully. If I'm not near um, your clinic, I should be looking at somebody who does TMS, let's say I'm a typical family. Is this something that a standard practice TMS would be covered by insurance? How does that usually work? That's a great question. Um, well, first of all, we have people coming from all over the country to get treated oh, here. Wow. So so we're we're open to all. Don't let to, that stop you. Okay, don't, don't let, let that, that stop, stop you. you. We yeah. are in beautiful Southern California, and it's it's not a bad place to be. We're a block from the beach, um, but anyway, they uh, it's a great question about insurance, and that's this is a big problem. Right now, insurance will sometimes cover the extended protocol, 
And in order to get that covered, you have to jump through a lot of hoops. Yet, depending on your insurance, um, you have to have failed at least a couple of medication trials for a series of, of months. Um, and then you may get it approved, but only the extended protocol is approved that 40 or 50, or sorry, the 40 or 50 day protocol is um, covered by insurance. There, unfortunately right now is no insurance company that's covering the accelerated protocol, which is a problem because it is a very time intensive and costly endeavor. So it's, it's something that we're working on making more available to more people. Um, in my, at my clinic, we also, um, for all of our paying patients, we also have, uh, we also treat a, a veteran and, or a veteran or a first responder in, in every one of our cohorts so that, um, you know, pro bono so that we can also, you know, engage that community as well and make, give them some awareness and help them as much as we can. So a few things I'm hearing if I'm a parent is, is that Accelerated is a, an amazing option, but at this point in time, not really covered by insurance. But if I have to have insurance coverage, it's the extended version. And to qualify for that, we're looking at need, it needing to qualify as treatment resistant or, you know, right. we've tried other things and, and it just hasn't worked, a certain amount of medication. So those are something to consider if you're a parent. Um, so let's say we're doing the TMS and I have a family member or I'm a parent. What is the best way that you recommend that family members support people who are doing TMS? Well, I think first it's important for them to understand what it is and what it isn't. Um, we, I, it's not an instant fix. And so Mm. what will sometimes happen is patients will get treated and then they'll, you know, go home and their partners or their family members will be like, okay, is it working? Is it working? Is it working? (laughs) Do you feel better? No, really. Like every day, (laughs) 10 times a day, that's not helpful. So we see this a lot. So it's about managing expectations about how this works. It's not, like I said, it's it's not an overnight, it's not an overnight thing. It's a cumulative effect that's building over time. There, we do have cases and they're, they're rare where people have an immediate response within three or four days. And that's always wonderful to see, but that's not the norm. Um, And it's usually after several weeks, even a few months that you start to get the maximum benefit from it. And again, that is part of a bigger, a bigger picture of multiple modalities of treatment, the therapy, the exercise, you know, eating right, all the other things that we talk about um, are equally as important. And so it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's something that is important for, for parents and and, um, partners to understand as people are going through this, it's not, it's not just a quick fix. Great. I always have to ask this because, you know, if, if somebody says, hey, Rob, I want to go see a therapist or take my family to a therapist, what are some things to look out for? I would ask the same thing of you, like, hey, if you're going to go look into the scene, TMS, are there any red flags that I should look out for somebody who's looking into doing this? I, I'm obviously very biased towards the accelerated protocol because I think it just gives you the best results. But it's there's just not there unfortunately aren't enough people doing it right now, and um, we're we're fortunate to be one of one of the few clinics in the United States that's only doing this. So we're 
we've gotten to be very good at it. And um, I just wish we could treat more people and, and, and see, see better results for more people across the country. So if I'm interested, can I go to your website? Yes. No matter yes. where I'm at in the country, no I, I want to learn more are. about this. No matter <laughs> yes. where I'm at, where do I go to look at this to see so what you're talking about? You can go to our website, which is www.kindhealthgroup.com. We also that will also link you to our YouTube channel, where we have a lot of um, videos that explain what TMS is. We have a number of patient testimonials there. We have a huge 24-page document with all of the research studies, uh, not all of them, but a select uh, number of research studies that are, are the most relevant for people to review and, um, and look at. And um, you can certainly call me, text me, email me. I'm always available for questions. Careful what you ask for, but yeah. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of my one of my last questions is uh, just what is the number one takeaway? If you're a parent, given this whole conversation, what would you say the number one takeaway is for a parent? Less talking, more listening. Less talking, more listening. Put down your phone and listen. Yes, yes. Listen yes. to your kid. Yes, listening. Um, it's hard. It's hard for us to do. You know, I, I'm. I have two teenage sons, and I'm constantly peppering them with questions, trying to extract information out of them. And I find if you just sit in the quiet for a minute, they'll start telling you everything. So, um, especially when you're driving, if you, that's the best. When they can't make eye contact, and you can get all all the goods. <laughs> Well, uh, Dr. Nanos, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I know this this is our, our second conversation. We did a podcast uh, called Sessions, where I was so grateful. I, what I appreciate so much is you're this professional physician and have this amazing practice, but you're also a, a person and a human. And I'm certainly hearing that interpersonal relationship and all of this is really at the heart of what you're doing. It is. It is. And it's it gives me it gives, it's my roadmap to joy. It really fills me up and it just, it brings me great joy to have the privilege of practicing medicine and being able to help so many people. It really is my, it's my why. Well, you certainly contributed that today on our podcast. I just so appreciate it. So if you're a parent out there, hopefully if you've listened, get, get on our website or access Dr. Nano's website and learn about all of these interesting, effective treatments um, to help out with depression and anxiety. So if you can, subscribe to wherever you find podcasts. And uh, we look forward to uh, you joining us in our next podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much, Rob.